we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 12. So go ahead and turn there with me in your Bibles. Numbers chapter 12. We're going to look at some family drama, which nobody can identify with. And go ahead and stand with me, if you will. I know you just uh, sat down, but go ahead and stand. We'll read this together, all of chapter 12, 16 verses of Numbers. It starts off here. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he'd married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. The Lord then came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, Reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And then uh, the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half-eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. And after that, the people left Hazaroth and camped in the desert of Paran. So let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you, God, for your word to us, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us uh, in our hearts, God, and you would encourage us and and challenge us in our faith, um, that we might more and more look like you, God. So help us in our character, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Has anybody here ever taught middle schoolers? Anybody? I get a couple chuckles out there. Um, I taught middle school for a while here, and I really enjoyed it. Middle schoolers um, gave you some really honest feedback mid-sermon, which is great. Um, so I remember a couple times that uh, just teaching up in front of them, and one of them would raise their hand, and you know, so you ask, you know, what's your question? You say, um, a lot. (laughs) Thank you. Any other questions? (laughs) Um, After my sermon, one day also, uh, a young girl came up to me and said, so what's the point? What was the point? (sighs) I think it was probably legitimate. (laughs) But but you teach middle schoolers, and and you get heckled, and it goes back and forth, and uh, soon I I found... uh, that not a lot of things embarrassed me up in front of them. 
And then I come out here, and it's, uh, it's a lot more scary, even though I can't really see you guys because the lights are so bright. Um, but in this account, we find uh, two prominent figures opposing two prominent figures. And tonight, we're going to be focusing on humility, a virtue that nobody really wants, but that is essential in the eyes of the Lord. And we're looking here at Mer- Miriam and Aaron as being a, a party of the proud, and Moses and the Lord as being a party of the humble. And the first set, Miriam and Aram, Aaron, they were Moses' older siblings. So Moses was in charge. He was the youngest sibling, right? Even Mary, Miriam played an instrumental role in saving his life. If you remember, Moses, his, his parents took him and and put him in a basket and sent him out, and Miriam was the one to watch to make sure that he stayed alive and that he ended up in the hands of uh, Pharaoh's daughter and, and that Moses was then brought up in that household. And, and Miriam negotiated the whole, you know, Pharaoh's daughter, I know if, if you want to keep this kid, I know some lady who you could pay to, to nurse him, his mom, she didn't say that. Um, and so she brought in some income for her family, and, uh, and then they got to hang out with Moses a little bit longer. And so we got big sister Miriam here, and we got big brother Aaron. Um, going back to Miriam for a second, Miriam was also a prophetess. She was a prophetess. She uh, was regarded as a prophet um, in Exodus chapter 15. It tells us that. Uh, she sang a song that is written and recorded in the Word of God here for us, um, and people looked up to her. She was, she was a leader, and God spoke through her, and God, and God used her. And then we have our other, um, other sibling here, Aaron, and he was the head of the priesthood. Uh, he was the mouthpiece of Moses. He sp- did not God speak through him? He did. God spoke through Aaron to speak to the Pharaoh, and, and God used him. He was, he was a mouthpiece. He was, a, he was also a prophet, but he was the head of the priesthood. These are two key, two important people, and we also, we can note here that, that Miriam is in the lead. Her name is mentioned first, uh, we know that she's the instigator also because of the verb here to speak is in the feminine case. So, so she was the one who was bringing this charge. And also, in the end, the consequence ends up on Miriam too. You saw that the, the leprous skin disease fell upon Miriam. So her name is first. It's in the feminine voice. The consequence falls upon her. So this was stirred up by Miriam, though Aaron was uh, a tag-along. And Aaron has done this once before. Uh, who has, He's succumbed to... Uh, weakness of the flesh. He succumbed to trying to please men. If we remember Moses, he went up on the mountain and received the law, the word from God. And when he came down, the people were run amok and they had a golden calf and they were worshiping it. And Moses said, what happened? And Aaron says, I just took all their gold and threw it in the pot and the calf popped out. I don't know what happened. Um, But Aaron shows his fleshly weakness here. This is the second time at least. Um, it's indicative of the weakness of the law to grant a victorious life over sin. And so we also know that there was a need of a better law, a better priesthood to come. But we'll get to that a little bit later. So we have Miriam and Aaron in open opposition to Moses and the Lord. Now Moses, he was the man chosen by God to lead Israel. He was oddly enough also the man least eager to lead the nation. He was the man not grasping for power, but he was chosen by God, and he was chosen by God probably because of his humility. Um, he was described here as the most humble man on the face of the earth. 
which is interesting because didn't Moses write this letter? It's like, are you writing this about yourself? Well, we know uh, Moses is attributed for writing the books of the law, but at the end of Deuteronomy, the last book of the, the Torah, um, it's, it, it, rec- it records the account of Moses' death, so we know somebody else had written that part, and this is also likely a scribe, scribal edition, possibly by Joshua. And so this insertion by Joshua, probably that Moses was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth, came about, uh, and God used him in a powerful way, but it wasn't until he was an old man. It wasn't until he was 80 years old. And I think of that often uh, in my life. I'm a young man. I'm about 30. And uh, when Moses was 40 years old at the pinnacle of his training, the pinnacle of his schooling, the pinnacle of his position in Egypt, he felt a calling from God that he was perhaps going to be the savior of his people Israel and he would take him out of Egypt. And so he tried to make it happen his own way. And he ended up murdering an Egyptian, and uh, the word got out, and he was uh, one of the most wanted, and he fled the country and became a shepherder, which was despised among the Egyptians in the, des- in the wilderness for 40 years. He, he took the lowest job for 40 years after being in the highest position, and after, after he was 80 years old, then the Lord was ready to use him because by that time he was absolutely nothing in his own eyes and in the eyes of Egypt and probably in the eyes of his own people too. He was nothing. He was humble, the most humble man on the face of the earth. He was a man who led the people out of Egypt, who spoke with the Lord face to face and who continually sought the good of the people over his own good. And you have the Lord. The Lord was the one who chose Moses The Lord was the one who stepped in here and spoke on Moses' behalf. The Lord performed, was the one who performed their miraculous signs in Egypt. The Lord was the one who destroyed Pharaoh's army. The Lord sustained the people miraculously with both water and bread from heaven. The Lord gave life and breath to each and every person in Israel. The Lord stood by Moses, and the Lord heard the accusation brought against Moses by Miriam and Aaron. So, Let's look at Miriam and Aaron a bit, the proud. They have a certain agenda. The proud, the proud always have a certain agenda. We're going to look at both the proud uh, and the humble, and we're going to look at what their, what's their agenda, what are they trying to do, what are they trying to accomplish, some of their tells, like in a poker game you have tells. Um, and then we're going to look at uh, the case in particular here for each of them, and then we're going to look at some action items, some action steps. So, the proud, their agenda is self-glorification. The agenda of the proud is to make yourself much, to glorify yourself, to bring praise to yourself, especially from creation. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High." This was the accusation brought against Satan. Uh, Satan, who, uh, when pride was found in him, was cast down from heaven. Satan, who enticed uh, Adam and Eve in the garden to become like God themselves, even though it didn't work out well for Satan, uh, and Satan uh, was was consumed with the self-glorification, 
And so the agenda of the proud has always been to exalt themselves, to make themselves like the Most High, to gain praise from creation, which is the position that God is supposed to have, to make myself like the Most High, to gain praise and glory from creation. Now, the proud always have uh, certain tells, certain things um, that you, you, would, you would look at their life and say, ah, that is a proud man. You would look at the certain situations, certain behaviors, and say, that's a proud man. And I use some, some driving terms, and perhaps they're not perfect and it's not exhaustive, but they're good examples. So there's some samples of, of, of these tells. I, I say there's some neutral things uh, where this is just the common behavior of somebody who's, who's proud. There's when they're going in for the kill, the drive, uh, and then there's in reverse when they're on the defensive, when they're trying to, to ward off attack. So, so neutral, they're self-promoting, they're, they're bragging. They're, they're people who are talking up themselves much. And we all know these types of people, of course, we're not like that ever. Um, but they, they want to talk about the great things that they've done, um, you go to them, and you go, and, and you're in conversation, and they bring up that story over and over and over again. Man, you know, I was so good uh, when I played football, and uh, here's this, this play that I did, and it was amazing, and everybody stood, and they cheered for me, or I played baseball, and I made this catch, or I made this hit in this certain part of the inning, and, it was, and I was amazing, and I was amazing, and you can even applaud me now if you want to. Uh, Oftentimes, people who are proud are, are manipulative. Uh, they're always uh, trying to position themselves in a better way, to position themselves above other people, position themselves for the best possible situation, especially at the expense of another, and they are greedy. They are always wanting more and more and more, trying to gratify themselves, glorify themselves, to take from others. Um, but they also go on the offensive. When they see uh, somebody weak, when they see an opportunity to exalt themselves, to, to go after somebody, when they see somebody who's a threat to them, there's some things that they do. They're critical of other people. When somebody is down, when somebody doesn't perform well, they're critical. They talk, they talk bad about them. Oh, it was awful. That person, I can't believe this. Oh, they said this, this certain thing. It was, it was terrible. It was worthless. They're belittling. They try to make other, others small. They're contemptuous. They look at somebody else with that, that arrogance, that air. Ugh. They have contempt for others. And they're just aggressive. It's like they're going, it's like they're, they're going in for the kill, right? They got this drive. But also they have some tells when they're on the defensive, when, they're, when somebody else is attacking them, there's some things that they do. Now, they become easily offended. The smallest thing, the smallest uh, criticism about them, um, it sets them off. It, it just easily, easily offended, easily angered. They're overly defensive. Even the smallest thing, even something if you try to help them in some certain way, they don't want your help, and they take it personally. Um, oftentimes they will shift the blame, if they, especially if they did something wrong. They'll say, no, it really wasn't me. It was this person. I couldn't do my job because this person, and, and they're always bringing up excuses over and over and over again, shifting the blame and accusing other people. It was really, really their fault. It was really their fault. So, so there's some different tells uh, of the proud people. And in our case here with Miriam and Aaron, we see 
we see some critical behavior. We see that they conspired. We see that there were, there were self-promotion. They began talking against Moses. They found uh, a little flaw, per, perhaps, in Moses' uh, behavior, that Moses took a wife that, that wasn't an Israelite because he had fled from Israel, and he was in Midian. So there's um, some parallels between Midian and Cush. Um, there's some relation there. And so he took a, a wife from among them. And, and so they were, Miriam and Aaron were critical of Moses, and they saw this little thing, and they were aggressive towards him. They began talking against him, all in verse 1, because of his Cushite wife. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And apparently they were speaking this amongst the Israelites. They were speaking it amongst themselves. And the whole agenda wasn't to try to correct Moses or to bring Moses to a place of right standing with God. The whole point was to elevate themselves above Moses or at least have a share in the leadership. Exalting their relationship with the Lord. Hasn't the Lord also spoken through us? We're prophets. We're priests. We should be uh, at, at the same level as him. We should be there. So they're trying to manipulate the people of Israel by talking about how they also have been used by the Lord, and they should be in that place. Critical, conspiring, comparing, overly aggressive. Um, but they need to take heed. There, there's a warning here, because immediately after, it says, and the Lord heard this. So the Lord hears. And not only does the Lord hear, but the Lord acts. The proud will be brought down. Right away, the Lord hears, and he, this is so interesting, the Lord hears, and he comes down in a pillar of cloud. He comes down and physically stands with them, and then calls them all out. He calls all three of them forward. So they're saying these things, and sometimes we're behind closed doors, you know, you and your wife, and you're talking about somebody who did something, and you're both belittling that person, and you know, in your behind doors, your closed, your closed doors, your, your secret conversations, making fun of them. I mean, I have never done it before, but I've heard some people do that. Talking down on somebody, but the Lord hears everything, everything. He hears and he acts. The proud will be brought down. And so he comes right away and he starts explaining to them, you know, when there's a prophet among you, they're both prophets, or there's a prophet and a priest here, I, the Lord, reveals myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. The Lord comes out and defends him right away. He's faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees even my very form. Why weren't you afraid to speak against him? And the Lord was angry. His anger burned against them, and he left. And then immediately as the Lord left their presence, Miriam's skin became leprous. So the Lord heard, and he acted. He heard Miriam's inner heart, her inner attitude, and that inner heart, that, that disease of pride became manifest in her outward appearance, and everybody saw it. Everybody saw it, leprous. And in fact, all of Israel, hundreds of thousands of people, were delayed and had to wait for Miriam. They couldn't leave yet. She had to sit out for a week. So she was trying to promote herself in Israel's eyes. And then what happened is she became leprous, unclean, and nobody could touch her. They all stand back and wait as she was outside the camp for seven days. 
her seven days of humiliation. She was trying to promote herself and then was humiliated for a week. It's ironic. And, but in this world, it often seems like the proud, the arrogant, the boastful strut about freely, unchecked, and they don't get what's coming to them immediately like Miriam did. We think to ourselves, man, this guy, does he, will he ever stop talking about himself this way? Will he ever stop bragging? Was he always going to belittle people and be critical? Is he always going to talk down to me like this? Will, will God ever hear? Will God ever act? But the Lord tells us that he both exalts and he brings low. We can be certain that the Lord will take care of the wicked in, in his own way and in his own time, whether in this world or in, in the world to come. Vengeance is mine, thus says the Lord. Isaiah 26, 5, he humbles those who dwell on high, he lays the lofty city low, he levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. If you guys want to recall together the story uh, in the story about uh, the book of Esther about Haman and Mordecai, and Mordecai was a Jew, and Haman uh, was a non-Jew, and Haman hated Mordecai, and he was conspiring, trying to find a way to kill Mordecai, and he actually built a gallows for him, and he was gathering his friends and his family together, talking himself up. He was bragging himself up, talking about how great he was, how wealthy he was, how great his kids were, and how much he despised Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't flatter him like everybody else was. So Haman hatched this plan to not just kill Mordecai, but to kill the Jews over the entire country. And how it turned out in the end, the whole plan was reversed upon his own head and his own people. He was hung in his own gallows, the Jews were saved, and, and the enemies of the Jews were decimated. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays, loft, lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. The Lord takes down those who are proud. He exalts those who are humble. It's the irony. It's an irony here. So the Lord is responsible for exalting and humbling, but it's our responsibility to take care of ourselves by being a blessing to both the righteous and the wicked. So, that person, that, that person who talks down to us, that, that person who just won't stop belittling, stop belittling other people, that person who just won't stop uh, promoting themselves and bragging, and we think, when will they ever do anything? What am I supposed to do about this? The Lord will take care of them, and we must take care of ourselves. The Lord is responsible for taking care of them. It's my responsibility to take care of myself. There have been so many instances where I've wanted to, to lash back out, and many in which I have, but there's been many times where the Lord has restrained me because He's reminded me that, you know, in all situations, that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that I ought to be like God Himself, that I ought to be like Jesus. I ought to be humble. I ought to be a blessing. I ought to be good to my enemies and bless those who curse me. I'm responsible for me. The Lord is responsible, just as he was uh, in this other case. Notice it was the Lord who took care of Miriam and Aaron. It wasn't Moses himself. Moses is responsible for himself. The Lord will take care of the rest. But there's some action items. So when we see pride, when we see pride in other people, we ought not to feed it, number one. Uh, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. Uh, we saw it in the story of Haman 
where the whole family and all the friends, they were flattering him and ended up not being beneficial for either them um, or Haman. Uh, so we're not supposed to feed it. We're not supposed to flatter people. We're not supposed to give in to their pride. We're not supposed to build them and puff them up because then they'll fall down. Uh, we're supposed to check ourselves. We've got to recall uh, when Jesus spoke of the speck and the plank, that uh, you, know, you see something wrong in your brother's eye and you want to go at, and f- go at it and fix it immediately. Because you see a speck in your brother's eye, but you yourself have a plank in your own eye. You better take care of that plank first. So, man, that guy is so proud. He's so proud. He's, I'm nothing like him. I'm, I would never be so proud like that. I mean, so when, when we see the pride in other people, oftentimes it'll stir us to anger. It'll stir us to a, a pride in our own selves. And, and we got to check ourselves. Are we as guilty? Are we as susceptible? Most assuredly. We got to check ourselves, and and so we must pray for these people. We got to wait for an invitation. We got to check ourselves. Pray for a door. Uh, ask uh, at the Lord's beckoning an invitation from the person to speak into their lives. If someone's caught in a sin, you live who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves; you may also be tempted. But we also can see pride in ourselves, and and when when pride is seen in in your own self, we must be. We must humble ourselves before the Lord, and He will lift us up. We must not walk in pride, lest we become humiliated. And so, how do we do this? Well, I think number one, the thing we do is we learn from those who are good at it. It's those who are good at being humble, those who are the most humble on the face of the earth. So, we're going to look at Moses, and then we're going to look at our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the humble Moses and the Lord, the humble, they also have an agenda. And I I think their agenda is not one of self-glorification. Their agenda is a one of love. First Corinthians talks about love, and you'll see in here uh, the contrast to those who are proud. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So those uh, who are humble, their, their driving motivation in life is not themselves promoting themselves, building themselves up, but their driving motivation in life is others-focused, building up others. They're not focused on themselves. They don't fix their eyes on themselves and their own circumstances. They fix their eyes on the Lord. They fix their eyes on other people. And there are also certain tells. There's the new, they're, you know, they're neutral, they're, they're general way of life. There's things, you know, when they could go on the offensive that they do instead. And there's things when they're under attack that they do as well, when, they, when they're in reverse. So in neutral, they're just, they're compassionate people. The humble are compassionate. Compassion means to, to, to suffer with another person. When Jesus looked out on the crowds, he saw the many who were sick, uh, the many who were lost, they seemed like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them from, from the inner, the pit of the stomach, from the center of his being. He just longed for them. He yearned for them to have a better situation. The humble are gentle. They're not harsh. They're not overbearing. Uh, they're gentle. They care about the state of other people and want them to be restored to a better position. The humble are, they're sincere. They're sincere people. They're, 
they're honestly, genuinely, genuinely concerned about the welfare of others, and uh, they're not always trying to uh, up their score. They're not always trying to get in good with somebody. They're not flattering. They're sincere. They really care about where other people are at. They're generous of themselves. They're giving. They're unthreatened. This has to do with identity. I'm going to go into this a little bit later. Some more. Um, but when they could go on the offensive, when they see somebody else who's weak, they are merciful. They're merciful. When somebody else is weak, they, they, they go to them, they have pity on them, they're, they're merciful, they help lift them up. They're meek when they could exert strength and power over somebody else and, and, and just, just decimate somebody. They're meek, they're, they're lowly, they help, they bring the other person up. They're encouraging, they're patient with those, uh, those others. And then uh, when, they're on, when somebody is attacking them, when, when they should be on the defensive, they're gracious. Their words and response are full of grace. They're full of good things. They're, they're controlled. They're self-controlled. Uh, they don't lash out in anger. Somebody uh, who is gracious, when they, when they hear something critical um, or when they're not doing something well, uh, they're teachable. They hear good instruction. They hear wisdom. Uh, better, a better knowledge, and there are teachable people. And also, if they have made a mistake, uh, the humble are responsible. They, they take the blame. They don't blame shift. So, in our case here uh, with Moses, we saw Moses was controlled. When, when Miriam and Aaron, Aaron were speaking out against him, Moses said nothing. He didn't, he, there was no peep out of Moses' mouth it was the Lord, Lord came in immediately and started speaking. Moses didn't defend himself in verse, verse 4, we see that. And then when Moses did speak, what came out of his mouth was, was merciful, it was, it was gracious, it was encouraging, he, he cri- it was compassionate, it was generous. He, he cried out to God to heal his sister who was trying to tear him down, trying to destroy him. He cried out to God for her healing in verse 13. And Moses uh, was incredibly humble here from his own sibling, which is hard to hear. Uh, So there's encouragement for us. There was warning for the proud, but there's encouragement for us because we can look at all these character attributes and say, man, sometimes I feel so far from these things, but just sometimes, not all the time, just sometimes. Uh, But humility is a behavior uh, that can be learned. Uh, we can observe those who are humble. We can accept the Lord's discipline as His child. We can put it into practice. I mean, I think it's an odd thing to say that humility can be learned. I don't mean learned in so much as having like an academic knowledge that's removed, like you read about it once and you're familiar with the concept. Rather, I think humility can be a tangible experience and a training that we can learn from. I mean, this is what's even spoken to us through our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we can, what Jesus here says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. We can, we can learn how to be like Christ. So the reality here, Jesus tells us to learn with him and from him, the path of humility, and which flows from a heart that's at rest, at peace with God. 
I think an interesting thing to note about the humble man is that the humble man is not a man who's threatened. The proud man seeks acclaim from other men. He seeks acclaim from creation. He seeks the applause of men. His identity is wrapped up in what man thinks, and, uh, and so therefore his identity is as fragile as the will of other men. If you're good today, they'll praise you. If you're bad tomorrow, they'll curse you. You're only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as your last game, your last Sunday. But the humble man isn't seeking acclaim from other men. He's seeking acclaim from God, and his identity is found in, in God. There's no thing that can happen that will separate the humble man from God, so the humble man isn't threatened. He's secure. He's safe. He's unthreatened. I think one place this is seen clearly is in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, it, and I think it really explains to us how God is unthreatened by man's uncleanness. See, a Jewish man was traveling along the road, and he was beaten and left for dead along the side of the road. He could have died at any moment, so when a Levite passes by and a priest passes by, they cross the street opposite the man, keep on going. And I think a big part of the reason why is because they're afraid if they helped the man and the man died, they would be ceremonially unclean. And so they were threatened by that uncleanness, the possibility of that uncleanness spreading to them. And this, this, so this threat of uncleanness was greater than any compassion they felt for the man dying on the side of the road. But the Samaritan, he was not threatened by this uncleanness. Rather, he stepped in and he didn't receive an uncleanness. What he did was he gave healing to the man. He brought healing to him, to this dying man. He brought life to him. And in the same way, Jesus, though being God, was not threatened by man's uncleanness. Man was defiled, man's full of sin. Jesus wasn't threatened by it. He came in. You ever notice how often people were surprised by Jesus's apparent lack of concern for becoming unclean? I mean, as a Jewish rabbi, he spoke with a Samaritan woman. It's a big no-no. Uh, he ate in the homes of sinners and tax collectors. Big no-no. He touched lepers. He touched sick people. He touched people who were bleeding. He touched dead people. And did he become unclean? Miraculously, Jesus never became unclean. Nor was he afraid to become unclean. Uncleanness never came upon him. He brought healing to those he touched and restoration to those estranged from God. Jesus, humble man, knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And so he was not threatened by man, the acclaim of man, the lack thereof, or man's uncleanness. He was unthreatened. What could man do to him? And so we see the same things in Moses here, crying out to God to save the very people who are trying to bring him down, the most humble man on the face of the earth. Um, a man uh, recently gave me a, a letter on humility. I don't know what that means. But um, should I think about it more? I don't know. But I think it, it was profound. It was profound. He says here, 
that a humble person, his name is Jack Wood, he's a pastor in Meath, he says, a humble person never addresses another person from a superior attitude. You cannot humiliate a humble person, for he doesn't take offense. A humble person always assumes that he's not arrived and is therefore always open to advice from others. He looks at every situation in life as a learning process, from the cradle to the grave. He's open, honest, vulnerable, transparent. He avoids power struggles and control freaks driven by insecurity. He knows when to dust off his feet and walk away. He agrees with his adversary quickly and avoids debasing arguments. A humble person doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. He's not driven by his ego. He's happy being humble, human. He's in contest with no one. He doesn't push or shove for position. He disarms aggressive, aggravative persons by keeping a low profile. He realizes the futility of trying to change the evil in others and sets a good example. He's a man of principles and he lives by them and doesn't abandon them when convenient. He is not interested in demonstrating his elite superiority, but rather speaks only when it benefits others. He keeps a low profile. He does his homework. When it's his time to stand and deliver, he speaks with confidence. He never judges others by passing sentence or condemning. He doesn't need to parade his goodness. He's always willing to engage with others and cherish his healthy relationships. I thought that was profound. I really liked here where, where Jack said that uh, he cannot be humiliated. A humble person cannot be humiliated. I don't know if you guys were here, um, and this was like less than a month ago, but we did the baptism service on Sunday um, in December, and it was awesome. It was great. I love baptism services, and I got to baptize a few people, and I've done it previously. But I don't know if you remember there or not, but somebody came up, and I didn't know their name, and I got all flustered, and I started doing marriage vows at the baptism. Does anybody remember that? This was like a month ago. You remember? It was pretty funny. <laughs> and so we were talking about it in staff meeting the other, you know, a couple days later, and we were, we were laughing about it. And, you know, in a situation like that, what do I do? <laughs> I opened my mouth, and, you know, out came the complete wrong thing, and it was totally embarrassing, but it's okay. <laughs> I do this all the time. I say things that are embarrassing. And uh, I taught middle school, and that was a help. Um, but I could, I could be offensive. I could take offense if people, you know, want to make fun of it or, or talk about it and be like, no, I didn't really, it wasn't my fault because the lights over here were darker than over there, and the person's name messed me up, you know. No, it's okay. It's okay. I want to be a humble person. I want to learn that. I want to look at people who are good at it, and I want to learn it. I want to be like that. So there's some action items for us. Uh, and I think number one, uh, the thing we need to do is re redefine or, or take another look at your own identity. Take another look at your own identity. I used to work, uh, I used to work in construction, uh, and towards the end of the week, the guys would usually ask each other, you know, what are you going to do this weekend? What do you plan on doing this weekend? And uh, when they asked me, I said something like, you know, probably go for a hike with my wife and I don't know, we might do a puzzle, we might, we'll probably go to church on Sunday, and they, I got the weirdest looks from people, just blank stares, that, that look that says, don't you have a life? <laughs> there, 
They're, it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 4, where it says they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. Set your mind, uh, Colossians 3 tells us to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So, Something we need to, to do when we invite Jesus to be the Lord, the King of our lives, your life changes because your identity changes. No longer do you live so that other people might think you're great. No longer do you live for your own glorification. No longer do you live so that you might have a thrilling life and great stories to tell, even though you can have a great life as a Christian. But you live and you die with Christ, knowing that the promised life to come outweighs anything that this life here on earth has to offer. So humility, I think, in part springs from an assurance of things to come, that our hope in Christ is not fragile, our hope in Christ is solid, able to build our life upon it, and when other people come and judge our lives, we know that our life is on the rock, and even though some things can come crashing down, our, the promise of Christ, of Christ and the hope in Him and our future with Him always remains. Who we are in Christ doesn't change. I'm convinced that, you know, neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Our identity is secure, so I don't have to be afraid when things change in this world. When people give me that weird look, like, don't you have a life? Because my life is in Christ. So we need to have an identity that's founded in Christ. And we need to take to heart those who walk in humility. If you're like me, there's a handful of people in your life that just, they blow you away. You look at them, they're humble, they're meek, they're sincere, they're genuine. They're people you look at, you're like, how, do they, how do they do that? How do they do that consistently, day in, day out? I feel like I can keep it up for like an hour or two, and then I go home, and I like blow it on my wife, you know? And so, how do these people just keep it up all the time? How are they gentle? How are they sincere? I mean, I, I really want to observe their lives. I, I want to ask those questions. You know, what are your joys? What, what drives you? And what difficult things has the Lord brought you through? I want to pick the brain of those people more and more who, who are humble before the Lord. I want to pick their hearts and see what's, what's really dear to them. And I want to imitate that lifestyle. I want to I become more like them. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 7. I want to look at those people, those people in our lives, people like I think of my, my own father who he comes over and when he comes over to my house, he's just so happy to be there and he'll, he'll like clean my house when I'm not looking and he always does the kitchen and he's like wakes up before me and uh, I have a little son, he's like one and a half, and my dad had, has gotten him already and like changed him and fed him, and I get downstairs and there's breakfast ready, and he, you know, that's just what he does. And he isn't looking for anything from me. He just wants to spend time with me, and he loves taking care of other people. And I'm just like, how, how are you like that day in and day out? I, I wake up in the morning, and all I can think about is uh, I'm cranky and I need coffee or something. How, how, is, how is he like this? I, I want to get to know the humble people to take to heart the way of life uh, and to live like them. But I also, uh, with a harder thing, I want to be able to accept discipline. 
I want to be able to, to accept discipline both from other people in this life and from my Father. I mean, if we're a child of God, inevitably we will face discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children, for what children are not, are not disciplined by their father, Hebrews 12, 7. Everything in this life happens, everything that happens to you in this life is allowed by God, and therefore it has a reason. If God allows it, there's a reason. If it's hard, treat it as conditioning. Uh, many of you have played sports, many of you went to school. Uh, I played uh, baseball and I played a little bit of football and some other sports, uh, mostly baseball. I mean, practices, we practiced three, four hours. Uh, we had conditioning and training and running and lifting. Uh, the practices were frequent. They were held in the heat, extreme heat in the summer. They were held in the cold. I remember I played in Michigan in the winter, or coming out uh, in the spring, and there's still snow on the ground, and, you know, you're, you're in the middle of playing, and then you got to stop because there's a blizzard, and we're playing baseball. It's like, you don't play baseball in the snow. Come on. And so I'm sitting there in the dugout just waiting to get dismissed. And the coach is like, nope, the snow's going to stop. We'll, we can keep playing. We'll just uh, shovel out some of the snow. And are you kidding me? Come on. I want to go home. <laughs> but when the games came, we were ready because we were conditioned. We were, the practices were hard and long. They were frequent, held in the heat, held in the cold. Uh, when we were hurt, we, keep, we kept playing. And as we become conditioned to hardship in life, uh, we can learn peace from God, and we can pass tests with flying colors, uh, which, and we can learn this peace from God, a peace that surpasses understanding. And we can even help other people bear up under hardship when we've experienced hardship ourselves. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with that which we've received from God. So, uh, in enduring hardship, we learn humility because we accept the concept of dying to ourselves. When you condition, when you experience hardship, and you accept it, it's, it's a form of, of dying to yourself. And when you come to realize that, you come to accept that and endure that and just carry on, then you become a humble man. So, uh, we looked at Miriam, we looked at Aaron, we learned some of the tells of pride. We were given some action steps to combat pride. We looked at Moses and Jesus, learned some of the tells of humility, and are given some action steps to learn humility. Well, we must know for those of us susceptible to pride, which is uh, everybody here but me, uh, that no one can be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. So, we got a word. We've got... Um, a good word here from, uh, from Numbers chapter 12, uh, from Moses, the, the very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Um, so if you want to study what it looks like to be humble, look at Moses. Uh, he's an incredible example, always crying out for God to save the very people who are always trying to tear him down. It's incredible. So I want to learn to be more and more like him. And I want to learn to be more and more like Christ, who calls, who calls himself humble and gentle at heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God, for your word to us tonight. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the example you set through Moses. Thank you that Jesus Christ is humble and gentle at heart, and they asked us to come and learn from him. Lord, uh, may we learn from him, God. Uh, may we look at, the, at, the, at our own lives, Lord, and, and 
you may you help us to to look at our lives and observe ourselves lord and with a sober viewing god uh, and a truth and a reality god and may you help us lord Uh, may we learn god to be like you Uh, may we take on your character attributes being your children representing you well in this world thank you god praising the name of jesus amen Mm -hmm.